Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts and this one is dedicated to the latest film from Joe and Anthony Russo and of course Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. It is not a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, although it kind of feels like one sometimes. Mm. It is... The Grey Man, the Grey Man, and to uh, discuss—I don't know why I said that twice—but to to, <laughs> to discuss this film um, is a man who could be described as Watford's ass. Wow! <laughs> it's as a mon woman. As long as it's not Watford's asshole. <laughs> there you go. An upside. There you go. Silver linings. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Amon. <laughs> Thank you also for ruining my introduction to Helen. <laughs> hey! How did I do that? <laughs> anyway. He's uh, implying I'm an asshole. Yeah, um, I was, yeah, see, I was, setting, I was yeah. setting it up, but then you just knocked it down. Like, all of it. You just, like, came over. And you're building a sandcastle, are you, Chris? <laughs> there is sand in your eyes. You're, you're Honestly, that's disgraceful. That's disgraceful. You no, know it is. I was just, I'm, I'm too pure of mind to even... You, you, know, you, you, consider don't those, you don't make those the, connections. The, exactly. Of course not. You don't make those connections. You're not a Lloyd Hansen. You're more of a six. You're more of a Sierra six in that yeah. you're good and kind and noble-ish of heart. Uh, whereas Lloyd <laughs> Hansen is, you know, a guy who a is... A dick. He's a dick. He's a total He's a dick. dick. <laughs> anyway, so uh, please welcome someone who is preternaturally good at making podcasts. Uh, that is an asshole word. Uh, it is, of course, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Hello. Um, hello, hello. Yeah, I didn't agree with that. I think we should be able to use whatever words we have available to us. Mm. Yes. This is, this is something, I, this is a realization I came to earlier in life. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> it is patronizing to other people for me not to use preternatural if that's the word that comes to mind. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. You may have noticed that about me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, before we get into this podcast and we discuss this movie, that's here from the directors behind it. That's here from Joe and Anthony Russo. Always enjoy talking to them on the Empire podcast and always enjoy doing a deep dive with them into their movies. And when they came to London, I sat down with them in a nice big air conditioned room and we had a good old chat about a great many things, uh, but not. As it turns out, when I listened back to the interview, the Prague action sequence, which I meant to ask about, and I totally forgot. Anyway, it's really the centerpiece of the film. It's totally fine. Here we go. Joe and Anthony Russo. Do please enjoy. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick to let you know a couple of things. First of all, this interview with the Russo brothers was recorded at a junket, but I wasn't using my portable podcast equipment for once. We were instead were using the cameras and sound equipment that was already set up in a junket room for Joe and Anthony. Uh, and for that reason, I think Anthony is a little off mic on this one. Also, at times you can hear some rustling of their clothes. The microphones that they have were attached to their clothes. So there's a little bit of rustling from time to time as well. Hopefully it won't spoil your enjoyment of the interview. But those things were beyond our control. So just let you know about those. One thing that wasn't beyond my control was a nice segue out of the Rooster Brothers interview into the rest of the podcast. But when we recorded the podcast in studio, I kind of forgot to do that, which is why instead of, so that was Joe and Anthony Russo, and now it's time to talk about the Grey Man, that sort of thing, you just get some nonsense instead. So just setting you up, just preparing you for what is to come after the Joe and Anthony Russo interview. And here now is the Joe and Anthony Russo interview. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast for this very special, the Grey Man spoiler special by the film's directors, Joe Russo and Anthony Russo. How are you both? Great. 
How are so you? Happy has, to be talking. Yeah. Oh no, this is the the part I look forward to most. This okay, is okay. this is fun. But getting the chance yeah. to pick your brains, and obviously this is a a project and a book that you guys have been circling for a while. But when yeah. you sat down to actually start properly adapting it with a view to making it into a movie, what was the biggest obstacle? What was the thing that you wanted to change? Well, it was. I mean, part of what we loved about it was how. It, excessive it was i mean we're entertained by excess and i think that um you know this this you know i think we're maximalists and we love the idea that uh you know that that, that it was so cr- it was so jam-packed with with uh inventive set piece after inventive set piece uh, we've always wanted to make a propulsive you know forget to eat your popcorn kind of action thriller and it really seemed to, to check that box for us um I think it had too many set pieces for us to fit into a two-hour film. <laughs> and, you know, the the lead character is more of a uh, lone wolf character. Uh, and it's hard for the audience to um, uh, intuit what that character's thinking or, you know, do the standard things that you need to do in a commercial movie to get out his backstory and, you know, uh, under, understand his point of view. So we had it, we added Danny Miranda, which is a character played by Anna de Armas. So that he had someone that he could bounce off of, and you know, they could pull out his backstory and uh, um, you know, give, give the audience a window into who he was. Because uh, structurally, as well as interesting, where we 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 are introduced to six. Uh, the only time in the movie he's called Cortland Gentry is that opening scene with, right. with Fitzroy. Uh, all the way through, he's six, and the, the, I, I'm fascinated by where you tease out his backstory as as time goes along. Yeah. So we get a little sense. We, we don't really meet Claire until about 30, 40 minutes into the movie. It's about an hour and a half or so before we get a real explanation of what happened with his father. And we see Shay Wiggum in, in those yeah. flashbacks. Was that something that you found in the edit suite or was that something that you found in the scripting stage? It was, it was scripting kind of stage. All, all along. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it, look, at, it, seemed, it felt appropriate for the sort of uh, enigmatic character of the gray man, right? You want to sort of access him in fragments and slowly. Um, He's a mystery man. I mean, it's part of what's fun about the film and the character is who and why, mm. you know, but what we also love is he's a blue collar hero. He's not, he doesn't, in, he doesn't embrace any of the glamorous aspects of spycraft. Uh, he in fact hates them, uh, which we <laughs> thought was interesting for the genre. You know, he's a, um, uh, you know, he's somebody re- who's rejecting a corrupt patriarchy. His father is an asshole. Uh, 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 he then ends up in prison because of his father, and then he's conscripted by the CIA, and he now has to work for an abusive CIA. Yeah. So it's really all this guy wants is his freedom. You know, he just wants five minutes on a beach before he dies. You know, it's like we, we like the, um, the poetry of that simple uh, uh, desire. Um, and, uh, we thought it was interesting that, you know, in, you know, um, uh, you know, a legacy of spy action movies like the Bond legacy where it's all cool cars and, and, uh, you know, the, the more glamorous aspects of what it means to be a spy, that it would be fun to do something with a proletariat hero. Yeah. And someone who's very aware of yes. the situations he finds himself in. I always, I, I thought it's fascinating how he's not your glib wise crack dispensing machine 
but he's someone who's aware of the absurdist nature of the situations in which he finds himself. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's got this lovely sense of appreciation of it. Yeah. Is that something you locked into with with Ryan once you cast him, or was that again something you always you always saw in the character? Well, yeah, I think it's something that we connected with Ryan on. You know, I think that is natural to our own sensibilities and how we think about uh, film and genre. You know, we do have, we are always have a self-awareness to what we're doing, no matter what we're doing. But we also have a, a deep, sincere, uh, sort of unfiltered passion at the same time going on. And I think Ryan had that similar combination, you know, especially because he was coming to a to a type of work that he had never done before. You know, the sort of specific action genre is not something that he's ever tackled as an actor. And it can be intimidating to a lot of actors because it's a, it's a very specific skill. It, it's a specific form of expression. And um, so I think Ryan had a level of self-awareness also as he was doing it, simply because it was something new uh, to him and and not something that he had spent years sort of developing, you know? Um, so yeah, so we, so we were able to play with that uh, both from our end and I think Ryan was playing with it from his end. Uh, as well, and and do you see this uh, this film as a, a a quest for identity in a way for for this character because it's very interesting that he's he's not called Cortland Gentry at any point. What after that yeah. opening scene? I mean, it's all yeah. you know. It's, it, it is a it is a story about identity, and I think what um, uh, you know what's interesting is his father stole his identity as a child. Uh, he took it from him. That's really why the climax of the movie is about rejecting his father, which is, you know, Lloyd is just another, and a long line of, you know, toxic uh, masculine characters in his life. Uh, um, and, uh, and he, you know, he finally finds something inside himself to rise up against that and reject it. Uh, and that is, I think, where he is finally able to find his identity, you know, after uh, being... Um, uh, um, after it having it suppressed for the majority of his adult life, I mean, as a character who identifies with Sisyphus, you know, yeah. has a yeah. Yeah. has a tattoo of uh, Sisyphus's name on his on his uh, uh, wrist. So this is clearly someone who um, um, you know fe feels like a prisoner, you know, yeah. traded one set of bars for another. And it's no look at it, it's no it's it's no coincidence that like you know this this character who like Joe said lost his identity as a child had it taken from him. You know, it, it, it's his relationship with a child in the in the scope of the movie that helps him, him redefine, reclaim yeah. him, reclaim his identity and reestablish himself. Um, move out of the gray and sort of uh, you know sort of sort of follow his sort of emotional truth. So, how do you think he sees himself at the end when he's driving away with Claire? Does he see himself as six, or does he see himself as Cortland Gentry, or is he striving towards something? An interesting question. Yeah, it's a good question. Does, it is called the Gray Man. He does show up in a white outfit at the end of the film, and we like to say that you know there are no black hats or white hats in this movie. I guess Lloyd is. Lloyd's, Lloyd's about as Lloyd's bad. <laughs> Lloyd's about as bad as they get. Yeah, but everyone's swimming in the gray to some. You know, the world that he lives in is gray. Billy Bob, as much as he is a mentor, you know, he also. You know, has has loyalties that you know. Um, um, He's done bad things in his life. Compromise right? yeah. him, yes. So you know, n nobody gets off scot free in the movie, and I think that's what we like about this world is that it's reflective of, I don't know, what Anthony and I see in the world today, and um, you know, it's a pugilistic parable in that regard. 
Uh, um, and uh, I think if you want to like distill the movie down to like its simplest elements, it really is. And this is, I, I think, what we see as sort of the critical issue in the world right now is you have two characters who are different sides of the same coin. One leans towards humanity and the other leans away from humanity. And, you know, which is, you know, which sentiment is going to win out? Uh, and, you know, we all seem to be struggling with that at the moment. Are we, <laughs> are we individualists? Yeah. Or are we here for community? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the nice thing is that the six picks community at the end. But, you know, to your question, I'm like, really love your question about will he move forward with the name six? And uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting question in that, um, look, this is a name that was given to him. He only agreed to be a spy because it was prison or be a spy. You know, those were, those were his two choices. He wasn't growing up dreaming of being a spy someday. Um, so this name, he was kind of, you know, being, being conscripted into the, into that service and being given that name, you know, is, is one thing, but then, but he sort of reclaims his identity as six, you know, and it says, I hear Claire, uh, uh, the, the girl in the movie played by Julia Butters, just calling him six. And, having so much fun referring to him as six. He may have enough fondness now for the name. I think of he six sticks with it, but he owns keep, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And they have also because Cortland's just a terrible name. <laughs> <It's true>. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. kind of anything but Cortland. Yeah. yeah. Cortland Gentry's got a it's got a it's got a ring to it. I'm not saying yeah. what kind of ring, but it's got, it's got a ring. That is for sure. I mean we, last time we spoke we talked about your plans, your ambitious plans for, you know, a gray man cinematic universe for one sure. of a better phrase. I mean you know this movie it does a really wonderful balancing act of delivering a a full story, a full satisfying, nourishing meal, but also leaving enough morsels pieces, yes. yeah, for you to maybe think, okay, there's something, there's yeah. something. I here. mean, look, it's ready made for it because it comes from a series of books, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Anthony and I love long form storytelling. We've made a career out of it. We did television for years. That's long form storytelling. We did Marvel long form storytelling. So our brains are just wired to think about, well, where else could this go? How much deeper could we go? And, you know, just as film fans, I think we've gotten a little bored with the two-hour closed narrative. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, it seems to be only so much you could do with it. So, uh, um, you know, we crave long form because I think it has uh, a little bit more curvature to it. There are definitely avenues you could take that would be surprising. You know, I think a Lloyd Hansen story, you know, prior to his death would be highly entertaining to watch. Um, uh, you know, um, Danush's character yeah. is really uh, compelling. Um, so I think there are there, there are certainly directions this could go in. And, uh, you know, I, I want to see what happens to Six now that, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's freed from the shackles of the agency. What does he become? What does he want to do with his life? Is he going to go sit on a beach or is he going to use, you know, um, the gifts that he has to uh, to lean, keep leaning towards humanity. Are you actively in development right now? I mean, you, the last time we spoke, you said that uh, that uh, Mark. Well, I think it was just uh, Steve McFeely actually was working on. We were yeah. noodling around with where this could go from here. Yeah. So you know, we're going to wait till the audience tells us <laughs> where know, it goes. Yeah, whether yeah. they want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. another one or not. in development. We have done a lot of thinking though and talking about it. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Because you, it's, it's, it's again, as I say, it does have a really interesting thing of you wrap the story up, I think. You know, Lloyd obviously is, right. is taken off the board. That must have been a conversation that you had at some point, especially <laughs> once you saw what Chris was doing with this yes. character. I can't yes. believe you said that. You just nailed. That was probably the, 
the 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 most amount of conversation we had about anything in the movie that didn't show up in the movie is what think, you're talking I think we about. May right have sh- I, I think we may have shot yeah. a, a, a version, uh, uh, you know, where uh, where he's breathing at the very end. Uh, we may have shot that version. Uh, we just couldn't use it. Yeah. We were like, "Fuck it, fuck it, he's dead." He's dead. Yeah. I mean, it was hard. It was hard. Six loses a lot of blood in this movie, he but, does. but yes. Lloyd yes. loses a lot of blood. <laughs> a lot of blood. So yeah. I think, yeah. I think he's he's done and dusted. You can yeah. only lose so much. In blood. a Russo sure. film, it's yeah. like you know you have to lose at least eleven pints before you <laughs> before you're done. Like, I mean, they start start counting the stab wounds at six gets yes, at the end. Yes, it's like, yes. what's oh, going, how can there be brutal. blood left he's in this man? What's yeah. what's going on? He's a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. he's got one pint he left. That's, that's he, all. He <laughs> uh, Billy Bob Thornton trained him not to need blood. <laughs> <laughs> this is the special Sierra program. Yeah, that's yeah, what they do. Exactly. That yeah. is what they yeah. train you to do. Yeah. Uh, because because Lloyd Lloyd is is fascinating. And I, I, again, going back, you said maximalist right at the beginning, yeah. Joe. And 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 this performance, what Chris is doing with this, is a very maximalist performance. Um, you know, there's the, the, the off discussed, you know, uh, you know, you you guys said it on Twitter. Uh, I said it in the feature. He was America's ass. Now he's America's asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with a character like this, how what are the challenges of that? When you have when you want to pit him against six. How difficult is it to get them in the same room together, keep them in the same room, have them to have that antagonist protagonist relationship you, running all the way through? You well, mean on a character level? Yeah, or on a character yeah, level. Yeah. yeah. When you're when you're when you're working it out, it's a screenplay. Well, it's actually look at that's sort of like the mat, like that's part of the most powerful dynamic for us in the storytelling is like how do we create scenarios for these two opposites mm. to engage in one another? And I I know a long a lot of our development was really sort of thinking about them and, and crafting them out as opposite opposites. If six was this, therefore. Uh, Lloyd is the opposite. If, if Lloyd is this, then therefore six is the opposite. You know, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they behave, you know. Perceived spy craft, the, yeah. the way they both wanted, you know, one yeah. one really wanted to be part of the agency, the other wants nothing to do with it. Uh, one draws all the attention he can every time he walks in the room, the other's job is to disappear. Six you know? uses yeah. his energy in a very calculated way. He never, and this is something that we got from our, our sort of special service uh, consultants and, and that Ryan was very keen on was just like, never wasting an energy when you don't have it have to because you never know when you may need it so you move slowly everything's gentle and controlled and 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 the minimal amount of effort you need to exert mm-hmm. whereas whereas lloyd is the maximum amount of effort you need to incredibly exert for no point. reason whatsoever just right. just to walk in a room <laughs> you know, he has to be like, he's a chaos do? maker the um i mean you want to tease out a showdown so you can't have them you know uh you know, in physical altercations too early, in a physical altercation too early in the movie. Mm. That's why there's just that sort of glancing moment, you know, where they connect with the grenade, uh, gets dropped, and, you know, sort of very John Woo uh, uh, (laughs) moment as one runs one way and one jumps through a window. Um, The, uh, uh, you know, but it it needs to build, and it is in that grand tradition of movie star showdown films, you know, Mm -hmm. where you know, you want to create uh, um, an anticipation with the audience when they sit down and watch the movie is, oh boy, I can't wait until, um, you know, Ryan Gosling kicks Chris Evans' ass. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, it's different from the book in that regard because Lloyd in the book was really, uh, he's more of an intellectual, he's more behind the, you know, he's pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Uh, he doesn't have a showdown uh, with the gray man. Yeah. Um, uh, not a pugilistic showdown. So, um, 
you know, that was fun for us to figure out how to orchestrate this, uh, you know, these, uh, these two immovable objects, um, uh, their trajectory toward each other. And it's, it's interesting to me the way that you know, Lloyd quite often isn't on the scene of the crime, so to speak. Yes. He is directing operations. And, you know, whether you, you discussed during filming or during post as well, whether it was a way to get more communication going between Lloyd and Six. I think we added a yeah. little bit more of Evans in the Prague sequence, just of him commanding, you yeah. know, the forces on the ground. But that was about yeah. the world's most sinister conductor. Yes. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but know. that was an issue that we jumped on very early in the development. What yeah. you're talking about there is just figuring out because again, if you if you if you know, the, the to design the movie as a mano a mano, you have to sort of have a prelude, right? Mm-hmm. to the to the uh, to the conflict and an escalation in the conflict and uh figuring out how to keep them connected was important. I mean that was a challenge with the gray man in general because he's such a solitary character especially from the novel. You know, we had to figure out how do we keep this guy interacting with people so that um we're sort of understand, you know, we can externalize what's going on with him internally. And certainly the the Ana de Armas character was very important for that. Um in terms of her, her the, the fact that she was sort of caught in the middle and has to challenge him about um, what his agenda is because it's so threatening to her and problematic for her mm. that sort of forces Six to to defend himself in a way in a way that makes the helps the audience understand who he is and where he's coming from. And uh, with with Danny Miranda with with Anna's character, how had you guys had you shot this before No Time to Die came out, for example? Because No Time No Time to Die comes out. People go nuts for Anna in that movie, but she's only in one sequence. And yeah. this is the film for people. If you if you were disappointed when she exited that movie stage left very early on, mm-hmm. this is the movie for you because she sticks around and kicks on. Yeah, all this was press. shot prior to release prior of that. We had heard yeah. she had a great scene in it. We yeah, but that it was limited. Scene. We were yeah. aware of that. Uh, yeah. But she really embraced the action elements. I mean, it, you know, it requires a, a very different skill set to make an action movie. You know, it um, requires a lot of training. Uh, you have to stay in peak condition. This Cirque du Soleil level the choreography involved in a lot of the stuff. If you throw a punch and you're off by an inch, you're going to break somebody's jaw. You know, so this is like a you know, it's it it's a t- it's tense as an actor to work this way for months on end. Um, every day presents possibility for injury. Uh, they do get a lot of bumps and bruises, but she really embraced the, the that element of it, and I think you saw it in No Time to Die. I think you see it in this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes a, just a, you know, a special mindset uh, uh, to want to make movies like this. And Anthony, I enjoy having the lead actors um, on camera uh, as much as possible executing that choreography. I want to ask a quick question about Lloyd before we move back to, yeah. to Danny as well. Danny and Six, that relationship. Uh, and this is something that happens in the book as well. He's not killed by Six. Uh, he's actually killed by Suzanne, which I thought was was really interesting. Again, that's subverting expectations. You know, people expect the hero to triumph over the bad guy. Uh, he's bleeding out in the corner, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. at that point. That was a really interesting decision. Can you talk, talk me through that? Yeah, I mean, look, at we, we like subverting, you know, the genre. All of us have such a sophisticated understanding of genre and genre conventions and how it works. And we like being able to play with those and have fun with those in ways that surprise us and surprise audiences. But also what we really loved about this story is we wanted to craft a world that was very rich and complex and had a lot of different players in it. Um, and the fact that, um, that uh, you know, that there's another character who has an agenda to kill Lloyd <laughs> that sort of crashes into sixes and, so, and 
and ends up trumping sixes. Um, it was very, it was a good twist for us. It was very entertaining. And it also spoke to the fact that there is a larger problem out there that remains unresolved by the end of this film that, that six is, uh, six is going to have to confront perhaps some, at some point in the future. If you, if you kind of run out, run all the scenarios out about where things go forward from here, it's hard to imagine, uh, six not having a problem. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to run on a road. Pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. It seemed yeah. interesting to us too, that you have this female character that seems put upon by these two toxic assholes, Denny mm. or Michael and Lloyd Hansen clearly is, Play their scapegoat for many years, uh, that she gets her revenge at the end of the film, and that uh, you know it doesn't end in the way that Ant said that you would expect uh, um, from a showdown movie. Uh, um, in a lot of ways, it undercuts uh, um, almost comically, you know, Six's moment where he rises up against a corrupt patriarchy, and uh, you know he's ready, he's ready to do it in, and then you know she steals that moment from him. So. You know he is he is Sisyphus through, through, to the end of the movie. You know he really never gets his uh, he never gets his due. Yeah, it's taken away from him. And uh, again, this is what we talked about in terms of keeping pieces on the board. Should you should you be a gray man too? Should yeah. you move forward forward in this universe as well? And Denny Carmichael being on the board as well, and he is you know in a movie full of toxic uh, assholes is perhaps the most toxic. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that relationship was interesting. His his scene with with, with Danny as well, which is yeah. We read mm. about this. I read a couple of years ago about um, these white supremacy groups that were popping up out of um, Ivy League schools in the U.S. Okay, uh, during the Trump era, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> and and um, uh, you know, we thought, wow, this is supposed to be like the you know the home of our best and our brightest. Yeah. Uh, so we thought it'd be interesting to create this cabal of extremists that came out of Harvard and, you know, are working for this old man. We don't know who he is yet, but clearly are, are working to infiltrate elements of the government uh, to use those branches for their own agenda. Uh, and Denny uh, seems to be the star pupil of this old man, um, you know, uh, um, and uh, which is why he, uh, you know, he's a... Uh, uh, an asshole is that uh, um, you know his uh, you know he, he's the most ruthless of the bunch uh, and has risen the fastest uh, and is now using someone like Suzanne who clearly couldn't rise as fast as he could uh, as a buffer uh, um, uh, to protect himself uh, while he executes a bunch of black ops secret black ops missions inside the uh, the CIA. But it's you look at it, it's a conflict that's kind of uh, you find within um, sort of covert operations and spy operations a lot, which is this idea that, um, you know, in order to preserve a democracy in a world that isn't globally democratic, mm -hmm. you need to do things that don't flow from democracy, meaning you have to do things that are illicit or immoral or things you're ultimately never going to answer for to a voting public. And that, that idea that there's, a, there's a, a group of people who intellectually believe that that's necessary to preserve uh, a, a democracy in a, in a hostile world, uh, that kind of behavior is necessary and actually a part of a valid agenda. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, there's, there's other people who believe that, no, you have to remain answerable for anything you do. Right. Mm -hmm. But we all know that we have this area in our in our democracies that that there are things that happen that never 
really get reported publicly? And like, where is the line between what's what's legitimate and what's illegitimate, illegitimate in terms of covert operations and and sort of uh, activities that that won't be answered for? Mm. Yeah. And it feels like a very modern uh, a modern twist as well. It feels like uh, you know you're you're directly echoing events that have happened right now on both sides of the pond as That's well, right. and that people in positions of power are acting. Uh, in shall we say irresponsible ways and no uh, accountability absolutely yeah. no accountability no consequences for yeah. their for their actions and Denny so his people under Denny the bus gets off the hook gets off the hook at absolutely. the end of the movie there's Indeed. no repercussions for him yeah uh, you know he's going to worm his way through you know into another mess and then worm his way back out of it again yeah um, and um, you could have stopped it Joe Gozi Agbo yeah, could have stopped it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly the old man must have uh, new pictures of me uh, um, because uh, I let him off pretty easy at the end of the movie yeah yeah, uh, yeah. A, a tap in the wrist if yes, if, yes. if that if that yeah. uh, so so the the old man is that a character that you've been thinking about is because uh, yeah, it that, is that's one wanted, of the, again we wanted this sort of the mythology of, of the world yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like a uh, there's a few uh, billionaires that are floating around that uh, you know, <laughs> have extremist uh, ideals that are pulling the strings uh, yeah. behind the scenes, and we thought uh, that uh, you know it'd be interesting to create a character not that far from reality that you know um, wanted wanted that kind of control in government. So you you know if we do if, if you know if we do do a gray man too, it'll um, uh, you know it'll uh, it'll involve the old man in some capacity. Excellent. And uh, yeah. so uh, let's talk about beginnings and endings, because I always like to ask filmmakers yeah. about this. And you start with the, the scene, the recruitment scene, where Fitzroy recruits Cortland Gentry. Yeah. <laughs> Says his name just one time. Yeah. Uh, but it's stuck in my head forever. And, <laughs> uh, and you finish with him essentially inheriting Fitzroy's niece as the daughter that he never had. Right. Was, was that always the way it began and always the way it ended with that sort of circular introduction it, it to, did, into the family it did for us because it what you know yeah, it was a, in a loose way yeah. su simple journey for the character again is towards humanity right so yeah. how, how does he have to re-embrace his humanity he's he's a killer it's very different than your standard hero this is a you know this is a, a man who specializes in murder uh who is sent into a nightclub at the beginning of the film to kill someone to assassinate them uh, and then by the end of the movie, he, you know, he becomes the most human person in the film outside of, outside of Claire, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and so that was the, you know, the sort of, you know, arc that we thought was interesting uh, uh, for him is that he gets pushed out of the grand and into the light mm -hmm. uh, um, and is forced to make a, uh, a decision in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, extremely cynical world uh, uh, to do something noble. If you're talking about changes in the book as well, Fitzroy yeah. doesn't die in the book. Right. Was that something that, you know, can you talk about that, about, about killing Billy Bob at this point? Yeah. yeah. Just, go ahead. I was going to no, say, it's part of it, the pain of... Yeah, and the complexity of, of, of what the character had to do. You know, look, at, it's, in a, it's a complicated relationship that Six has with Donald Fitzroy. Yeah. And, you know, he, on one level... He has become, you know, Sixtus says at one point he's the only version of family I have too. You know, uh, Six actually is starting to think of him like that. And you can yeah. see that, yeah. that, that Billy Bob, you know, has similar feelings towards Six. But at the end of the day, it's a transaction. You know, he is, he is basically, uh, you know, he's, for, he's conscripted this guy into the CIA. He manages him as a boss. Um, 
and when he when he sort of has a conflict, uh, you know, he's willing to give up six if he has to, you know. And so it's almost, you know, the, the, for us there was just a. It was hard to think about, it, even though Billy had some altru- altruistic motives in terms of how he his relationship with six and this opportunity that that he offers him. There is something corrupt in it as well, and I think that sort of ended up. And that's the price that his, he had to pay. Yeah, you know, in order to. Send it, six it, it's basically a min, a manipulative father figure, you know. It was yeah, a, benevolently know, it was a, manipulative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, you you pull two of his fingernails off. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe, maybe more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, guys, I am being wrapped up. I just want to ask real quick one last yeah. question: yeah. The, the, yeah. the drones that you yes. use uh, to yeah. really that that's a new. A twist, a new wrinkle to the Russo brothers' filmmaking approach. Yeah, in yeah. terms of that's, action, we, that's we were a new looking piece of for technology. again, yeah. like the yeah. mission was to make you know an excessive, relentless action movie. Yeah. Uh, how do we create um, kinetic energy with the camera that makes the movie feel propulsive? You know, and you know you're doing a travelogue, so you know there are going to be interstitials. There's going to be transitions from location to location. You know, and you know, location shots of are, are a trope in cinema at this point. You know, you've got the Fincher Nolan sort of <laughs> s- slow crawling, yeah. you know, uh, abstract geography shot. You know, you've got the Spielberg, you know, best shot you could possibly find a- any angle on the city. You know, he's going to find it. Yeah. Um. Uh. And we thought, you know, how do we keep those from feeling static? How do we? How do we keep pushing you forward in a narrative in a relentless way where you just feel like you're on a roller coaster and is not going to let you go? And uh, our A operators, uh, uh, also an executive producer on the movie named Jeff Haley, who we've had a great relationship with for almost a decade now, and who you know every year wins Camera Operator of the Year award. Um, he he said, you know, I've got this. There's this new tool called the uh, the speed drone. You know, and I think I think it can go up to like 100 miles, even faster than that. Yeah, uh, it's operated it by like shocking to watch it. It's operated by like a 22 year old kid, very small. <laughs> so he's he wears a VR headset, <laughs> like and he kind of sits in the corner. He's doing this thing, he's just whipping around on the set, past everyone's heads, and he doesn't really move. And you kind of go up and whisper in his ear, you know, can you get a little closer to Ryan on that next one? He just kind of shakes his head with his VR headset on, it, and it just uh, it seems completely implausible that he has the level of control that he does. I mean, he, he's actually able to move this thing in an incredibly precise and reliable way, even though you can't understand. And how it's it small happens. enough so, yeah. that you can bring it very close to the actors without a lot of danger because if it hits you, it, it's not, it's not, it's not that damaging. It's sort of, you know, it's like getting punched. It's in the just arm. really scary. But it's not, <laughs> not actually it sounds loud. Um, but that was really, uh, that was the uh, um, impetus behind that choice. Amazing. Well, yeah. guys, I'm glad to go because you've got a premiere to get to. And in fact, right. so do I. So, uh, <laughs> Joe, Anthony, always a pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you Great talk to you, Chris. Yeah. Great fun. Oh, sorry. I was waiting for him to come back in and, and redo the interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's this um, amazing running gag on Comedy Bang Bang where Rob Hubel and Thomas Lennon were the very first guests on Comedy Bang Bang. And so every time they have appeared on the show together since over the show's 11 year period, the host, Scott Ackerman, prints out 
the conversation that they had on the show, hands it to them, and they do it verbatim. But they don't say, we're doing it verbatim. They don't say, oh, we're doing this bit. They just start talking, and then they do the exact conversation that they did in the first episode. And it took people a long time to catch on that that's what they were doing. It's amazing. So what if we did that? What if, you know, these bits where I'm doing the pre-record, and I go, and now let's listen to Taika Waititi, or let's listen to Joe and Anthony Russo. What we should do is we should arrange them to come in and then do a sort of radio play style reenactment of the interview. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh huh. Mm. I can see some logistical problems, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But li- hey, listen, if they can travel between countries as quickly as people travel between countries in this <laughs> oh movie, my gosh. then we'll be fine. In fairness, I mean, the railway network in Eastern Europe is impressive. You know, compared to British rail, it's a, it's a dream. Someone worked out that it would take six, uh, you know, when he gets to the, the, the checkpoint to go in the plane to get from oh yeah where is he in the, he's, he, is it Chiang Mai in, or somewhere yeah wherever he is in that, he's in Asia at that yeah. point and then he goes to Turkey I think he goes to Turkey yep and uh, so they worked out yeah. so whatever the, the film starts which is in Bangkok if I'm remembering rightly I believe so yeah yeah uh, it would take him on that tuk tuk that he that he uh, <laughs> uh, appropriates yeah uh, it would take him eighteen hours <laughs> to drive from one place to the other but you know what. No one cares about that stuff in movies like this. No one cares about that stuff in James Bond movies. No one cares about that stuff in Mission Impossible movies, but they're gallivanting all, all over the world. And, you know, James Bond doesn't get jet lag. No. He doesn't have to worry about shit like that or being cramped in economy. He doesn't have to worry about that. Ethan Hunt doesn't have to take a little pillow, neck pillow with him, does he? No one cares about this stuff, although that might explain why James Bond has never been to Australia. <laughs> it's not just that he's terrified of snakes and spiders. Like yourself. As, like myself. Wait, are you James Bond? And the com- um, <laughs> 007 was already taken. Uh, yes, I am James Bond. Uh, moonlighting as a mediocre podcaster. <laughs> anyway, no one cares about that stuff. And it's one of those movies that if you start scrutinizing it a little bit too much, then, you know, we'll be here all year. So let's just emphasize the, the fun nature of this one, because it's a fun film, isn't it? it got, yeah. I'll be honest, it, this has got a bit of a kicking. And I wonder if this is partially a Russo Brothers backlash from, you know, the worst excesses of, of film Twitter who, like, oh, we can get them now. They don't have the the Marvel armor. <laughs> ha, we can, uh, they'll, they'll teach you for making two of the biggest movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, take that, Russo brother. And Yumi and Dupree. Finally, the Yumi and Dupree backlash <laughs> is, is finally here. Is it partially that and is it, or is it partially something else? Because for me, this is way more entertaining than No Time to Die. I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of weariness at Netflix, big budget oh, action yeah. movies, which have not all knocked it out of the park. I think it's fair to say. Six <coughs> underground. True, but this makes but this makes <laughs> Red Notice. <coughs> Excuse me. But, but this film no, makes but, Six Underground look like Red Notice. Or is it the other way around? Other way around. Other way around. Well, I mean, it's close. Either but, way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but no, look, I, I had a great time with this film. I, it felt to me like a throwback to a mid-level 90s action spy thriller. Someone and said I it's mean the most expensive that, movie Dolph Lundgren ever made. And I'm on board with that. I, I, I think that's a little harsh. I, I didn't get a Dolph Lundgren vibe. I got a sort of, I don't know, 90s Pierce Brosnan vibe. 90s Pierce Brosnan? Yeah, kind of. I don't his know. pre Bond era where he would make, these, make any sense, these forgettable More Alistair like post McLean Bond, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Mm. But it just, it just feels like, you know, it's got a big budget, it's got proper movie stars, it's got a good cast. 
and then there's some nonsense happening that doesn't make any sense. And I'm fine with that sometimes. I read Jack Reacher books, for God's sake. Hey, hey, listen, uh, you know, I had a rocking good time with this movie. Uh, you know, you know, I love Jack Reacher. I love the work of Lee Child, the lit- literary giant. I mean, he literally is a giant. Oeuvre. <laughs> if you will. The, uh, the mise en scène. The mise en scène of uh, Lee Child. Um, but I read The Grey Man by Mark Greeney for this and he is no Lee Child uh, I would say the book is not brilliant but it does give them the platform on which to stage all these fun action sequences and build these mm-hmm. exuberant and, and fun characters among yeah nah, absolutely uh, I did have a good time with this uh, Chris Evans is having <laughs> more than a good time mm-hmm. with this and that is just so much fun to watch and there's a lot of really impressively staged action beats uh, that I got kicked out of as well um, and then you, you pair that with uh, the nice connection that Ryan Gosling has with Julia Butters's character, which is a trope. And there's a lot of cliches that we see in this movie, but a lot of them are done well. And that particular one uh, stands out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think bad books can make good movies. You know, yeah. obviously classics like Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I would argue for things like uh, Devil Wears Prada. Oh, Godfather yeah, the even, Godfather's yeah. not hailed as a literary classic. No, but mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's probably a better book than, <laughs> than some it's, of the ones I just mentioned. Yeah, that's true. But, um, but yeah, I, so, you know, sometimes there's something to be said for taking potential and playing with it. And I abs- absolutely agree about Evans. He's having the best <laughs> time he gets, I think, 90% of the best lines. I mean, Gosling gets a couple, but really he's playing catch-up, I, mm-hmm. I feel like, with Evans here in, in terms of the script. Um, and uh, and also Evans is milking them for all he's worth, you know, <laughs> because I got shot in the ass. <laughs> Fantastic. Shot um, in the ass, Suzanne. And that's America's ass, guys. You know, that's that's upsetting. Is that a big ass to hit? Is that a big target to hit? Or is that <laughs> is that difficult? Because I imagine Chris Evans' ass is... Um, Rock solid. Rock solid. <laughs> so I would imagine that any bullet or projectile, a dart in this case, Mm-mm. would have just bounced, <laughs> bounced off that off thing. It, like, I know. Like the bonnet of a car. <laughs> or like, like diamonds, like the surface of a diamond. And hey, Helen, diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting confusing Whereas Gene Kelly's ass would have just gone through that flabby thing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. Well, I good. mean... <laughs> <laughs> of all the asses in Hollywood to pick, Gene old, Kelly. Old Flabby Kelly. <laughs> Good Lord. Let himself go. I mean, literally never. Have you seen Xanadu? Come on. Hey. 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 Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, <laughs> I, I, this was, I was trying to, I, I watched uh, this again last night in preparation for, for today and so it's it's about so it's about it's about uh, there's a USB drive with evidence that uh, Simon Duke of Hastings, aka Reggae John Page, um, has been up to no good in cahoots, no in cahoots, less, if you will. with with Evans. And Lloyd is an evil name, isn't it? I mean, come on, Lloyd. is it? Lloyd. I know a Lloyd. He's a lovely fellow. He produced Actually, Defense Horizon. Right. He did, didn't he? He's he's a nice man. I've met him. Okay, but <laughs> but I mean. In this case, it's it's a dickhead's name, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest. Just just what the worst Hansen? person in the world. Hansen's not a dickhead name. Mm, but but- <laughs> it's spelled differently for one thing. But but you put those two together, and you know, uh, name another Maya Hansen, Iron Man three, best Marvel movie. There you go. 
Is it though? <laughs> oh no! Sorry, you just you just quoted the actual best Marvel movie, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, uh, is it though? Is it though? Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. For me, for me, this this movie is a ton of fun. So I've, I've been slightly surprised by by just watching people's reactions to it. You know, going it's a bit humdrum, bit been there, done that. And yes, there's there's truth in that to an extent, of course. But when it's done this well. I tend not to care about stuff like that. When the action sequences are this yeah. good and when you know, big stars are having this much fun, I'm a deeply, deeply shallow person, obviously. So <laughs> attractive people doing attractive things attractively. Attract that's, you. That's my bag. <laughs> that attracts you. That, it attracts me like a, like a magnet. like a <laughs> But this is interesting because obviously it's playing in the Bond, born mission Very sandbox. Mm-hmm. But also there's like, as Helen was saying, there's bits of 80s, 90s action movies throwbacks. It becomes a remake of Commando at one point, which is which is wild. I mean, literally the hero has <laughs> someone, very, very a, a young girl who is close to him, kidnapped by the bad guy, brought to live in a castle. And then the hero mounts an assault on that castle at the end and ends up having a one-on-one mano-a-mano yeah. battle mm. with the bad guy. If... Chris Evans at that point had gone, I'm not going to shoot you between the eyes, six. I'm going to shoot you between the balls. <laughs> then that would have been absolutely just capped off. In just but, those terms? Really? Like that? In, and in that accent as well. <laughs> I think that's a choice that Lloyd oh, would make. We, we hmm. missed out. We really missed out, didn't we? And then sort of chainmail fest. Yeah. Can you imagine Chris Evans in a chainmail fest, Helen? Do you want to say Do you want a moment? Quick, Chris, put in the call to the viewers, get into the. Just re-edit this thing. We just know they can re-edit. We we know they can re-edit uh, right. Netflix films after release. You know this this is this is gold can we're they? giving them. <laughs> oh yeah, they've been they've been um, changing Netflix things after they go up. They, they tweet things. something in Stranger Things. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's interesting. Is the floor now actually lava? The floor is actually lava now. Yes, <laughs> wow. it's quite dangerous. Um, That's amazing. But but look, I I think I do have I do see some of what people are complaining about. I think that. The, the very high definition of the action scenes doesn't always look great. And I think this is a problem we're still having because everyone's still playing with really high def with, with you know, um, different frame rates and that that sharpness and that, that kind of very brightly lit look uh, at times is off-putting and is does seem flat uh, um, and maybe lacking in a particular style. So I just think that there's, there's, a, there's a, a reaction to almost an entire way of filmmaking right now that's happening in the criticism of this movie, a reaction to Netflix, a reaction to, you know, Mm. this kind of big budget silliness. Um, And I'm not sure it's all attacking this particular movie because frankly, it doesn't deserve that much conversation in the sense that it's a big fun blockbuster that, you know, Mm. that's all it claims to be. That's all it aims to be. There's no particular geopolitical stance here. There's no political you know, discussion. There's no real moral outlook except Lloyd bad, six mm. better. Um, you know, it's not it's not a film that, that is trying to change the world. It's a film that's trying to have fun on a Friday night. I think if you listen to the Russo Brothers interview, Joe Russo in particular was saying that there is there is something they're aiming for thematically here, but I suppose I don't there is know a, if there is a theme yeah. about abuse of power and, you know, the, the increasing contracting out of government to unpredictable sources we've seen it in this country over mm. covid god knows um to terrible effect and maybe that that's not great but you know generally this isn't like a cold war movie this yeah. isn't no. about you know but anything there's, a, like that. there's also something about there's also something about um six's background and being abused by his father and mm. and fighting back against that and you know that that you know this is a 
a larger expression of that and you know so you know but the scene in his father with Shea Wiggum at the end I wonder if that comes a little bit too late for people to really join the dots there that when he fights back against Lloyd he's fighting back essentially against his father so Lloyd yeah. represents his father at that point I, mm. I, for me that feels the structure of this movie is very interesting in that Claire, the Julia Butters character, is introduced fairly late. That aspect of his background with his dad, played by Shea Wiggum, who's an actor who's big enough to make you think that there was probably more with him mm-hmm. at, at one point. You know, that's introduced fairly, fairly late. So, you know, for me, the emphasis was, and probably should be with a movie like this, on the text rather than the subtext. Yeah. But I wonder if that maybe could have come in a little bit earlier. How much of the geopolitical intrigue stuff is in the book? Oh, yeah, a lot of it. I mean, the whole thing, there's there's nine of these books. I mean, I haven't read Beyond okay. the Grey Man, if I'm honest, but, you know, my understanding is that the whole thing, it sets the story off where Cortland Gentry, because that's, that's what his name is, and yeah. wisely the film skips around there very quickly. Uh, you know, he kind of goes on the run and becomes a wanted man, and then there's all sorts of shenanigans. Yeah. It would have been nice for more of that to have come through in the script. Um, you know, Captain America, the Winter Soldier is another film which is a political spine or has that those aspects mm. and that's another one where the objectives are sort of smoothed over like two-thirds of the way through the movie but at least you have a, cap, a character like captain america to hang your sort of morals on so we always know where he stands there's not really a character who has that being set up properly in this film for you to I, really hang hang stuff on i think that i mean i think that is meant to be six but you're right i think chris is right you need more of that early on yeah um, that if you'd had a little bit more, I mean, you get a sense of it from that first conversation in the prison yeah. cell. You get a sense that he's done something not that bad not, yeah. um, in the prison cell. But I think it would be helpful for there to be maybe a little bit more of that point and earlier on so it doesn't feel kind of yeah. tacked on. Not tacked on, that's that's harsh, but you know, uh, mm. it, it feels like an extra rather than being a, a through line. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had Um Maybe this is a place to have it. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. Uh, about about action heroes and action movies, and not just action movies, but sci-fi sci-fi movies, and and the idea of backstory and the idea mm. of justifying a protagonist's actions, which all feels to me anyway to be fairly late in the day. You know, if you look at something like Alien. For example, mm-hmm. we know nothing about Ripley. We know nothing about her background. We know nothing about her, what drives her. We know nothing about the, the, the justifications. It's very, very simple. You know, we can, you can read things. You can discern things from the environment and how she interacts with people and who she's interacting with. Yes, but we know nothing about her. We don't even know her name in that first. Like, I think it comes up at the end, E. Ripley, and then someone then filled in Ellen later on. If you look at um, a movie I just mentioned, Commando, which, you know, I know, let's not, we should be holding it up as the, the epitome of action filmmaking, <laughs> but no. also it kind of is. <laughs> oh uh, we know nothing about John Matrix. If you look at uh, Predator, for example, yep. we know nothing about Dutch. We, you know, there's lots of action movies where we know nothing about the bad, the, the good guy or the bad guy. We don't need to dig into the backgrounds or, or know he's doing this because his dad was mean. We don't need to know that stuff. So is there an argument that that's just... Window dressing? Yeah, there is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we don't know much about Bourne for the first two movies, three And you could argue when we begin to know things about him, he becomes less interesting. I would very much agree with that argument. And and you know my position on on over-explained backstory. I think it is bad. Bond, Bond's another one. Bond, Bond, yeah. Once once he starts getting, you know, oh, my family, boo-hoo, oh, evil, oh, oh, you know, half-brother, bah, or stepbrother. I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, no one buys that. I just, oof. But I, I, I think in this case, um, 
just because he is also a full-on assassin who has been going around for years assassinating people, maybe it is helpful. And maybe and also it's it's an it's a backstory that has something to say. I think it is a backstory that isn't just, oh, my parents died high sad. It is a it is a I was put in an impossible situation and I made an impossible choice kind of a backstory, which is more interesting and, and actually potentially has, you know, is something that we should talk about in the world in terms of just being open about, you know, a child abuse and the existence thereof and the, the fact that, you know, kids are put in awful situations and, and sometimes there's no one there to help them. And, you know, there, there's something there's something to talk about with this particular backstory. So I think that's maybe why it's relevant. And if you are going to make it relevant at the end and relevant in that final sort of confrontation, because it is... It's it's ultimately no more or less um, compelling than Captain America's "I don't like bullies" that goes right through his arc mm-hmm. in the um, in the MCU. It's essentially the same thing. It's a bit, you know his father was a bully, but to to a degree that he felt was was potentially murderous. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a similar arc here, but it would have maybe been something that could have developed into something new and something that had a bit more weight to it. I think that's all. Yeah. Yeah, nah, I agree with that. Um, we were talking about the action a little bit earlier. And as I say, there's a number of really cool action beats I love. There's one in particular. I think I was sat next to you the first time I watched this movie. And it's the Prague sequence. And uh, Sierra 6 is on the tram. or And he, he sees the reflection of the dude in the building and then shoots... And I like I got a really good yeah. kick. <laughs> that was Cause you, awesome because you love watching people die. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a big thing for you when they're not wearing bat suits. Yes. Um, so yeah, that that was really cool. There's a number of sort of, uh, especially when Danush enters the fray, the action kicks up another notch. Mm-hmm. By the way. That man knows how to rock a patent suit. Can we just say that? He, My gosh. I mean, in, in a film not, you know, not lacking in handsome men, he may be the handsomest. Yeah. Like, that guy is ridiculously he, handsome looking. He really is. My, my only issue with some of the action is that they're really cool sequences until cartoonish CGI lessens them a little bit like it happens in the plane sequence uh-huh. which i do not think it's probably the weakest action sequence of the lot and it starts off really cleverly i like the way like he's ready for them when they're coming from that's really uh-huh. cool yeah. but it turns into a sort of cartoonish cgi uh very very quickly and then even the prague sequence which is another fantastic sequence but the, the end of it is just clearly green screen cgi all this sort of mess happening and it dilutes the scene for me well, that's There's, interesting, isn't it? Because you know they they build a lot of that for real, all the, all the Prague stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think there is a, a a degree of green screen there. But this is a deliberate move away from that Bond and and mission and born model. Uh, you know, the mission model is very hard to replicate because there aren't many movie stars in this world. Ryan, would you mind throwing yourself out of this exploding plane? <laughs> Tom Cruise would do it. It isn't really a great argument. You know, or would you mind leaping off this, this um, what's it called, the, the metro, the subway thing, the tram yeah. in Prague onto this this speeding car? Tom Cruise would do it. But he did it three times before lunch. He's not even on this movie. Um, you know, that's not... <laughs> But they, there's a deliberate move away from that, you know, where the stunts are done practically or mostly practically. But even when they were done practically, I mean, there's there's a bit in the in the Prague fight, um, which I did think there was there were so much cool stuff in that. The fact that he's he's handcuffed to the to the bar. <laughs> Someone shoot to, the man handcuffed to the yeah. bench. <laughs> and then he's you know he, at one point he gets a gun, so he's about to shoot, but then he has to shoot another guy, and then he uses up the last of the bullets yeah, in the gun. Great. So then he's you know back to square one kind of thing. There's there's so much good stuff in that, and there it was clearly. 
you know, a lot of it was practical. But there's a moment where, even though I'm pretty sure they did at least one of the explosions practically, they also show it from an angle that is clearly CG'd. Right. And, and that was really a little bit distracting. So the, there are things like that that, that kind of mm. got to me. But generally, I, I didn't have a problem with the action. I know there's going to be CG in a modern action movie. Who, who gives a hell? I honestly. What? So, I know. Hey. I know. It's just the, the, the film in general has a grounded nature to it that when you have those sort of superhero esque cartoonist CGI, it really. It feels a little, mm. little bit out of place. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it, maybe if they'd just taken that beat off the end of the Prague sequence, we'd have been talking about a really yeah. good, really yeah, good action maybe. sequence. Yeah. And we, it still is a really good still action is sequence. Good, yeah. I love the way it builds as well and shifts. And they probably did that thing where they. If I'd asked them about it, they probably could have told me uh, like they did with you know their big action movie, you know, you know the the, the Avengers versus Avengers the airport scene in, in Civil War, or yeah. you know the entirety of the last forty five minutes of of Endgame. Should we talk about Endgame? We should talk should about we, we should talk about portals. <laughs> when Steve wheels me on there, isn't it just the best thing you've ever seen? Yes, it's the second best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, now we played the greatest hits on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> get back to talking about the Grey Man, but uh, so the Prague sequence, I think, probably has a three act structure, and they deliberately escalate it. Um, where, and I do like how they get six out of these tight predicaments. We think, oh, he's on a plane with a bunch of armed guys. How's he going to get out of it? Well, yeah. because he's he's the best there is at what he does, and what he does isn't, isn't very, very nice. nice. <laughs> and then you have obviously the Prague sequence where he's handcuffed to a bench. How are you going to get out of that? Well, the bad guys can't shoot at him for reasons and then when they can't shoot at him they're bad they're bad shots yeah. uh, but then he gets out of that, Look, that that's just that's the classic tram. that's yeah. classic action movie logic the more people there are the worse on your side the worse shots they'll be mm. well as we all know it's hard to shoot it's hard to shoot a man it's hard to shoot a man it's hard to you know it's it's great in, in practice but you get up to it in in actuality. Mm-hmm. Look a man in the eyes and shoot him. Yeah, I'm entirely going off unforgiven and open range here. That's <laughs> not personal worried. experience. Yeah. Not personal experience. Okay. I have to just to be clear again. I, I'm, As your I, lawyer, I'm not James Bond, despite what I said earlier. Okay. So I just want to distance myself legally from this thing. Isn't that what James, James Bond, Bond would, would say? Yeah. Actually, no, it isn't. He's forever introducing himself. To <laughs> yes, yes. Hello. The, the, the name's identity, secret identity. <laughs> but yes, so so that action sequence, I think, you know, apart from the little button on the end, mm. and I really like the plane sequence until it does go a little bit boomy, 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 mm. um, which is a technical term. You can look it up. It's in all film textbooks. Oh. Uh, but everything else I thought was really, really cool. You're right, the, the, the Noosh fight, there's two of them. Uh, that's really, really cool. And I love that Six, despite the fact that he is the best Riz at what he does, and what he does isn't very nice, is frankly, he has the shit kicked out of him on a... <laughs> on the regular, <laughs> yeah. On the regular. It's just, it's it's amazing. Like I said to Joe and Anthony, it's like, how does he have any blood left at the end of this movie? <laughs> That's he's what I was talking repeatedly. to you about after watching yeah. it for the first time, because he is stabbed a lot. He's stabbed a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, luckily, the knife missed every major artery. Under <laughs> mm. organ. Yeah. <laughs> and muscle group. Mm. Yeah. But he, yeah. he could still play the piano. <laughs> There's only one negative thing I have to say about the niche you come to a realization late on in the film that Lloyd Hansen might not be an honorable dude. <laughs> at what point did you look at Lloyd Hansen and say, you know what, you're it's, an honorable dude, I want to team up with you. It's the tash. <laughs> it's the tash. It's once you, once you come face to face, because you, you, know, you probably get hired over the phone for these things or, you know, WhatsApp or something mm. like mm. that, right? And, uh, and so, you know, it's a bit John Wicky and all suddenly all the world's greatest slash shittest assassins are suddenly after six 
they all get their asses handed to them apart from Danush, uh, whose character <laughs> is, as far as I can tell, Danush. <laughs> I think he's playing himself. I'm not sure. Uh, what is his character's name? I should know these things. I've seen the film several times. Yeah. Lone Wolf. Yeah. Avic San says here on the Just IMDb. Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. Okay. Yeah. by Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. Wait, that's <laughs> that's a code name you've chosen for yourself. And I, and I like that. Um, but you know, so he's been hired over the phone. It's only when he gets to the Citadel and is confronted with Lloyd Hansen's epic douchery in the shape of that moustache. Yeah, <laughs> that's al- when he begins to have an inkling. And also in the shape of those T-shirts. Like, what size does he think he is? <laughs> Because that, that man thinks he's like a medium or like a small to medium. He is not a small to medium. Look, I'm not complaining. I'm just observing. He, Lloyd is he's impeccably been, dressed. Yeah, he is. Impeck being the operative word. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I think Evans is terrific in this. Um, it's, it's a shame, uh, you know, uh, as people will know, having heard the interview with, with Joe and Anthony, uh, that they did discuss at one point because they were enjoying him so much, keeping him on the board for this. And I know that they've discussed a spin-off purely mm. focused on Lloyd Hansen, <laughs> which I'm I'm not sure how that would work because then you'd have to yeah. go. Th- would you have to go down the route? Because if you started going down the route of humanizing him, no, or absolutely justifying not. I him, refuse. No, <laughs> it's like if you made a movie about, say, Rickman's The Sheriff of Nottingham. Mm. You would, you know, you should lean into the pantomime villain nature of that guy in that movie. And then, what do you do with him? Like, do you have him win or lose at the end? Frankly, do you Precisely, know what I mean? It's yeah. just like no, there's, there's, an, I think this is a one and done, beautiful little dickhead of a shitbag, <laughs> and just leave it at that. He's you know? a dickhead of a shitbag. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite? Evans Lloyd line reading. I think it's probably my my mum literally sent me this one, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's really it's really made an impact beyond these walls. Um, but the you can't make an omelet without killing a few people <laughs> is is a particularly yeah. stupid yeah. and yet le- brilliant psychotic line. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's literally Absolutely. the first quote that's on the IMDb. They've only, they've only got twelve quotes from the movie. You want to make an omelet, you got to kill some people. Um, I, I yes, think, I think I have two. Um, <laughs> the one where he finally meet, uh, sort of meets Sierra Six in person, um, and they're having a fight, um, and Sierra Six drops the grenade uh, to escape. It's like ballsy. <laughs> and he runs off, and then I think this one might take the cake. But it's in the final sequence, and he goes back to the castle once he realizes he's been tricked. And he's like more ones, and then he shoots. He shoots <laughs> it's so great. He's having it's so, so much, much fun, fun with uh, with uh, Fagnamura's character when he goes into the um when he when he enters Fagnamura's apartment, and Fagnamura's like, "Where's my money?" And he just without even looking, he just kind of flicks his wrist up and then just shoots him a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Dick move. Totally. But we're done yeah. with a panache and a style that I think the late great Gene Kelly would have struggled to master. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Gene Kelly could have done that in his sleep. No disrespect to Evans. <laughs> I do like in the final fight as well when he sort of slicks back his hair and gets ready to engage again. There's so many little moments like that. He's he's having a whirl of a time. He is absolutely having the best time. I, I yeah, I love how again there's a, the, that sort of diehard dynamic between between Six and and Lloyd as well, where you can feel the film at times straining to put the two of them in the same room together because when they're, when, not even in the same room, but when they're communicating, mm-hmm. like that first conversation with them when they're on the phone and, and Six goes, Lloyd, I, you know, I've, I've only just known you, but I, I immediately don't like you. <laughs> yeah. That's a really, really fun line. And he's just a guy who, he's a provocateur. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's how Lloyd, I think, thinks of himself. He doesn't think of himself as a bad guy. He just thinks of himself as one of those, he's one of those dickheads that you get on Twitter who's just, I'm just telling it like it is. I'm just, a, <laughs> I've got a truth-telling style. I speak truth to power. If you don't like it, you can lump it, pal. Uh, he's he one of those assholes. He's, he's like, he genuinely, I think he's like a tech bro. He thinks he's a disruptor. He is. He's he is a, a disruptor. disruptor. He's a disruptor. That's exactly what it is. He is, he's a provocateur. We could throw out some names of people that he reminds us of, but we probably should. <laughs> as your lawyer, as, absolutely, that's not. As, as my lawyer representing myself in this case, I'm going to uh, skip around that one. But uh, but I do like I do like Lloyd. I think he dresses very well, and I imagine he smells very well. I'd love his musk. <laughs> I don't know. He's spending a lot of time just like you know striding around sweaty rooms. Looks like he might not smell that good. Oh, okay. So his musk yeah. is not uh, is not up for debate here. Okay, interesting. I have anyway. a question. Yes. What did you think of the copious amount of drone shots? I love them. I love drone (laughs) shots. I fucking love them. I loved Ambulance. I love because I love that these directors are like Michael Bay and, and the Russos are discovering drones and they're just going, what can we do with drones to kind of... Everything! Uh, yeah, inject some energy into this action sequence. So I love the fact that, you know, they're, they're kind of um, interstitial... Uh, title cards for cities, which is a, a which is a Russo brothers tradition. Oh now. yes, I mean it almost ruined you, me, and Dupree. Living room, kitchen, <laughs> bedroom, but um, with this movie, it's just like we're not just going to do, you know, Croatia, <laughs> Prague. Langley, we're going to have a drone flying at the location at a hundred miles an hour, and then do a right turn, and then fly up the building, and then we're going to go bedroom. <laughs> I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. No, I I enjoyed it. <laughs> Just I was I was laughing at it at times because it was so. It's so it's so over the top. It's so I, over the top. I loved it in ambulance. Yeah. I think I think yeah. it was absolutely true. I think there are a couple of times in this film where they use it really well in an action scene. There's one, I think, when Danush encounters Sierra Six and Anna de Armas' character at the hospital. And as he's making his escape, the drone sort of goes from where Sierra 6 is to where Danusha is making his escape. And that, that was cool. It's just so ridiculously over the top. I love, I, I love all that stuff. I love the fight between them. Again, he gets stabbed a couple of times. Does he get stabbed through the hand? Yes. And I just think that's his guitar playing hand. He's never going to be able to play guitar again. And those, those... It missed all the tendons. <laughs> Every single one. It's, it's an astonishing. It's a miracle of medical Lone science. Lone Wolf is very skilled with a knife. <laughs> very, very skilled with a knife indeed. I love um, whenever he uh, gets rescued by Danny Miranda. I think it's after the Prague sequence and he goes, you know, just once it would be nice if I could rescue <laughs> you yeah. for a change. You yeah. know? Yeah. And then he, he basically spends the entire movie being saved by her, which is, which is yeah. a nice little twist. Yeah. There's also a little twist as well. One thing I wanted to talk about, um, I'll go back very quickly to the point I was trying to make about Lloyd and Six and they do that Die Hard thing. Whereas, you know, in Die Hard, they realized as they were shooting, uh, that scene, someone will shout at me if I'm wrong about this, but I, I'm, I'm sure that the scene between uh, John McClane and uh, Hans Gruber, you know, where mm-hmm. he played, pretends to be Bill Clay, Bill Clay yep. in Die Hard, was added during production because mm-hmm. they kind of wanted they they wanted to get their hero and their baddie together, and they realized kind of what they had in these two guys as well, and so one of the greatest scenes in action movie history was born. So uh, they they try and do that a little bit here. So they have that conversation first on the phone, and then they have the meeting uh, in Vienna. I want to say. Hi. No, where Fagdemura is, that's Vienna, isn't it? 
but then you know, you know, it, it kind of struggles to have them in contact. You know, uh, Lloyd is very much he's not on the scene in Prague, for example. He's just yeah. yelling at people, yelling at subordinates. Uh, but then they have that big mano a mano confrontation at the end. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about it was that Lloyd kind of is winning it to an extent, mm. and um, he's killed not by six, but by Suzanne. He's killed by someone else. That's unusual. That's a little twist. Yeah. Yeah, I I wanted Jessica Hennig to have more to do uh, in this film than she does. I, I'm a big fan of her. She is the main reason to check out Iron Fist. <laughs> um, second season in particular, I think she really comes into her own on that show. Um, what was Iron Fist? <laughs> Never heard of it, man. <laughs> Probably best that it stays that way. Yeah, she, is re- she is really good. Only no. joke. Um, uh, so so yeah, like you know, we, and she's very capable, as we know from having watched that beloved show, of throwing down. Um, so hopefully in <laughs> the, the sequel and the Matrix Resurrections and the Matrix Resurrections uh, yeah I'm, I'm not going to talk about the fighting in that film because I've done a lot of that um, but <laughs> this is not a Matrix Resurrections spoiler special amount, don't worry it is however an Avengers Endgame spoiler special so if you want to talk about that go ahead yes where's Jessica Nick in the Avengers Endgame um, but uh, yeah <laughs> now <Good nah>. <laughs> uh, I'm hopeful that in the sequel uh, she, she will get uh, some fight sequences because she's very very capable mm-hmm. I suspect she's on the battlefield in Endgame, along just, with we, Daredevil, yeah, we just can't see her. Yeah, along with Daredevil <laughs> yeah, and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and the Punisher and yeah, and Wilson Fisk, they're all there. They're all Wilson Fisk. Wilson Fisk, yeah, he'd be there. Yeah, you heard Vanessa. Vanessa. <laughs> I I do think though that um I think it's an interesting end to have her come in and do what she does, mm. and and sometimes look, sometimes that feels like uh, oh my god, we've got to find something for the women to do. Ah, you know, in action movies, they're like, we 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 want to have kick-ass strong women in this film, but we also don't want to have them fighting men because sometimes it looks bad when a man punches a woman on screen and people get upset at us. So there, there can be that, you know, sort of sense of tokenism in, in a lot of action movies and that sense mm-hmm. of uh, crowbarring stuff in, in a way that drives me up the wall, never mind misogynists. Um, but I think in this one, like, there, there is something to be said for that. I, I think... Ryan Gosling genuinely does have a bit of feminist energy and not just yeah, the feminist Ryan, so. Ryan Gosling meme. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so there is a sense that he wouldn't mind if someone else picks up the slack. He's not... He's not much of a condition to do anything Well, he's not much of a condition. But like, you know, I think there is, there is definitely a sort of testosterone-fueled I fucking hate you. I'm going to fight you right now because, mm-hmm. I, and at that point, I don't think either of them's particularly thinking strategically. No, they're just thinking, "Fuck this guy. Let's work this out." Um, but equally, <laughs> he he doesn't have enough of that toxic masculinity to be upset that a woman essentially stops the fight and does what he was going to do. Like no. it, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that he's not mad that that Miranda rescues him a couple of times because somebody rescued him. That's a good thing. That's just the way, that's, that's yeah. way he lives his life. That's yeah. the way he sees things. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. Also, you could argue that really the situation between Lloyd and Six is personal to agree because he, he kidnaps Fitzroy and obviously then sure. Fitzroy dies as a result of that kidnapping and obviously he, he threatens Claire and that's a that's a that's a bad move when it comes to you know when it comes to six and you don't want to get in the wrong side of that guy. But really it's just a job. And I think Six sees it as that, yeah, he wants to kill this guy who's been trying to have him killed and but really he knows it's just a job. You're just you're trying to kill me because it's a job. I'm trying to stay away from you because it's a job. It's the job. It's the life we lead, the life we chose. And, and there's, there's only you know, one guarantee. Claire could. 
clear, clear. But, <laughs> but with 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 Suzanne, with Jessica Hennig's character, mm. she has you know the, the, the film makes a point of saying she's gone to, she's been at college with Lloyd and Denny Carmichael, and they are the worst examples of toxic masculinity rising to. And she's not listen, she's clearly trouble as mm. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. You know, she has, she's known this guy for 20 years and she's known what an asshole he is. She's got more of a reason to kill Lloyd than Six has, yeah. you could argue. Harvard does not come out of this film looking well. It doesn't, does it? That, that's okay, to be honest, that's fine. I, I think <laughs> I think that um, that, makes, that makes total sense. She's also aware of the lack of accountability. I think, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And I think there is, you know, uh, there is a theme here about abuse of power. There is a theme here about people, some people being able to get away with anything. And actually, like, that's true of the whole CIA, let's be honest. But there, there is an idea here that if, if somebody doesn't fundamentally take Lloyd down, he will be back. Like, he is unstoppable otherwise. And I th there, there's a thing about definitive endings, because otherwise people like that will always survive and always find a a new environment that they can thrive in unless you definitively put them down. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back uh, a little bit to what you're saying about Six and the, this being just a job. At the point of the big sort of Six versus Lloyd showdown, isn't it more than that at that point? Because he has this connection with Claire. Mm -hmm. Lloyd has just killed another of his mentors, the first one being Alfred Woodard, who we mm -hmm. should talk about at some point. And he's got Claire. That's more than... A job at yeah, but I, I don't, I don't see it for him. I don't think it. I, it doesn't strike me at the end as that sort of Western showdown of you know now it's this time it's personal. I still mm. think for for him, it's by and large. Oh, this is you know this guy's just been hired to kill me. I don't really hate this guy. I mean, I immediately don't like him, but mm. you know, we're just trying to kill each other because that's what the the demands of the game. That's what the the job entails. And yeah, he mm. killed my mentor and my mentors, <laughs> mm. but you know, for me. There's more of a motivation for Suzanne. Anyway, it's just a, it's just a small thing, but I thought it was interesting that she was the one who gets to kill Lloyd mm. at the end, and you know, and they and they don't they. It's, it's a good thing, as you say, that they avoided the temptation to have him breathing because they shot a scene where he breathes at the end. So it's like, oh, he could still be alive. But, yeah, don't yeah. do it. Yeah, don't fake out deaths. Just stop, stop doing it. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, take that, Jesus. Well, no, but <laughs> I d death has to mean something. You know what I'm you know? saying? Mm -hmm. Good grief. Okay, so we got about ten minutes left. Let's talk about let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's <laughs> talk about all, all the good, good things and the bad things, things that may be. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about six. six. <laughs> let's talk about six. <laughs> totally didn't rehearse that. That was <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, oh, yes. for life. The Empire Choir will be <laughs> taking requests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, so I, I really like Ryan Goldstein in this role, mm. and I, I would like there to be a sequel to this because I think you know he's he's having a lot of fun with it. He's good at the efficient action guy stuff, like Ken Doll come Kendall. to life, <laughs> uh, and but he also he you know he isn't playing in the same field as your Ethan's and your. And your Jimmy Bonds. Yeah, no, he's more, more the cool, silent type, um, which definitely distinguishes him from the Bonds and the Bonds. And but with it's, a sense of humor. But with a sense with, of humor, a, yeah, a little bit of that. A little bit. Not quite. And John McClane isn't quite right. But there's who is he like? Who is he reminding me of with that humor? Ryan Gosling, I think. <laughs> Maybe Ryan, but but like I, I think a little bit without the edge of 
I mean, I really find Ryan Gosling fun and I, I like mm. him a lot, but there is an element of sort of smugness sometimes yeah. or self-satisfaction and he doesn't have that here. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is that uh, he has a sense of humour about the, sequ- the the situations in which he finds himself and he frequently, he has a sense of the absurd and he knows that, you know, he's effectively living in borrowed time and he, he's aware that he's not going to get this 401k and this desert island retirement that at some point, you know, in a long enough curve, it'll probably end for him with a bullet to the brain. He knows that. Uh, so that translates into this sort of morbid sense of humor, but he's not a wisecrack machine. And I really enjoyed that. When he's glib about situations, it's it's rare, but welcome. I'd agree with that. Um, I think the more or less understated way he plays things for the majority of the film really plays off well against what Chris Evans is doing in this film. Uh, I also wonder if that was a big a consideration. I wonder if... You know, and I, I know these these things aren't shot in this way, but I wonder if, like, maybe a couple of weeks in, they were looking at, okay, so this is what Gosling's doing. Mm. This is what Evans is doing. All right, so we need to make, we need to dial Gosling back 30% because Evans is at 100%. A hundred? A hundred and fifty. I feel like those two probably would have talked to, about it beforehand. Gosling, I'm 70%. What are you? <laughs> no, but like, actually, when I say those two, I'm like, actually, I can think of several those twos that I might mean. But I, th- I think there's a really nice balance built in here between mm. between those mm-hmm. two characters. I think that there's, you know, I think, you know, Gosling would have known going in that there was going to be a certain amount of showboating on this on the part of the villain. And again, I think he, he just has enough self-confidence and enough, you know, untoxic masculinity that he's like, yep, brilliant, do that. I'll still be over here. Being, <laughs> doing what I'm doing. I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. get a sense of kind of competition from them. What about Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe? No, as uh, <laughs> as as Danny Miranda. Thankfully, in this movie, for more than one sequence, yeah. take note: No Time to Die. Isn't it weird how No Time to Die stops being entertaining the second she leaves the film? <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's weird. Welcome I think that's to weird. the No Time to Die for this special. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It, it becomes a little bit more somber and a bit more dour once once Paloma leaves leaves the stage for obvious reasons, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah. obvious reasons, obviously. Good sentence there, Chris. <laughs> uh, but you know, it strikes me that and, and Russo said that this wasn't a reaction to that. They didn't know that that was was going to happen with No Time to Die. She was always meant to be in this, but she gets mm-hmm. stuff to do. And mm-hmm. if you're going to put Arma de Armas in your movie, put give her stuff to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Now I like that she has more to do in this. I like the banter that she has with Six. Love I like that she gets to do that. I like that she, we get to see her smarts as well. <laughs> We've already talked about the first reflective moment that I love. There's another reflective moment that Anna de Armas gets because she reads a text off Reggae John Page's uh, glasses uh, yes. <laughs> at one point in the movie, which is really, really great. I like that moment. I just would have liked a little bit more character work, a little bit more yeah. depth for her. Again, this is something they can maybe give us in the sequel. Uh, but I enjoyed her presence on screen. I think I think she had a nice um, little bit of kind of uh, spikiness with Reggae Jean Page. Remove yourself was, from my personal space. Yeah, and, but also vice versa. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that he kind of you know was still being a dictator at the end. I thought we thought was that there was a yeah. nice element yeah. of mm. of balance there and of real threat from him, just from his position on the totem pole, well above hers. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was really well played. I thought you got a sense that she okay has limitations on what she can do but she's going to do everything she can up to and possibly slightly beyond those limitations because of again her place in the pecking order not because of her natural skills Um, I was a little bit confused I mean if we're talking plot points and and travel times and things (laughs) 
how she gets around is really fascinating. <laughs> if if uh, if she's so she goes from Bangkok back to Langley. No, she goes from Bangkok to Berlin. She gets Berlin. told off in Berlin. Okay, she gets told off in Berlin. And then she goes to then Vienna. Then goes to Vienna, then Prague. Then Prague. Okay, but they drive so from bad. Vienna to Prague, so it's not too bad. But uh, Lloyd, mm. Lloyd's interesting. So when we first meet Lloyd, Lloyd, <laughs> can't believe we're doing this, but anyway, uh, when we first meet Lloyd, <laughs> he is torturing someone for yeah. just... Oh, no, we're just not, average we're not, Tuesday. We're not told where he is. Bobbing! <laughs> We're no, oh, by the way, last sequence with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and the fingernails. Mm. Oh, no, no, do not no, want. No, thank you, no. No, thank you. I almost wish they hadn't done that, but okay, that's, that's you know, poor old Billy Bob. Uh, I think they actually pulled his fingernails. They actually did. Yeah, <laughs> they actually yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, they really did. Um, <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. I have to make that absolutely clear. But uh, Lloyd goes from that opening scene where we meet him and he's torturing that dude. Uh and then the next time we see him, he is in. It's wherever Fitzroy goes to for the funeral of his friend, and mm-hmm. then suddenly Lloyd is there. Yeah. So Lloyd flies a long way just to, well, obviously to to kidnap Fitzroy, but that's a that's a big detour. And then Lloyd is then on a plane back, which is, I guess, it kind of makes sense, right? I guess it kind of makes sense. He's on a plane just, back, so yeah, then and it's then. Like, and then what his I mean his chateau base is what that was Croatia, Croatia yeah. okay I mean that's interesting to me who arranges the rent of the chateau for the base purposes the CIA, the CIA, the CIA rents that's, a chateau they put the CIA in Citadel okay that's the only reason they do it okay wow yeah. so um, he goes so they go so he's flying in yep we're applying far too much scrutiny to this, but he's flying in <laughs> with his team, and then they get the call that Six is in Vienna, trapped in the. <laughs> Where's the world's greatest secret agent? He's trapped in a well. How did he get there? He's an idiot. <laughs> That's the only well, explanation. In fairness, he's an idiot. Like I think would he. Would you trust that guy? I wouldn't have trust him, but I would. I didn't see the trap door coming, and clearly he did not either. Um, I would. In I, fairness, he's quite tired at that point. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, it's a very it's a good trap. And he's trying to conserve all his blood because he's going to lose a lot later on. So he's <laughs> with respect to the trap. I, I like respect the way the trap <laughs> and tame the six. <laughs> I, I like the way he gets out of it though. Um, yes, very clever. Using clever. his brains. Yeah, yeah, Mind absolutely. Over yeah. So Lloyd's flying through. He's he's flying in Europe, and then they get the call, and he says, "Oh, we're the closest team." So they go into Vienna, and then he gets his uh, he gets his ass shot, and then six goes to Prague. Then they then Lloyd is recuperating. In Croatia. Croatia, I guess that makes sense. I guess, Croatia, it's a gets, lovely place. He gets all of the teams to Prague awfully quick, but okay, all right, I guess. I guess it's the teams that they have in and around the Prague area. It's a very popular <laughs> stag do haunt. <laughs> so if basically, I were... every stag do in Prague has been <laughs> weaponized. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> oh Jesus! Can you imagine? None of us would ever be safe again. Oh my word. Prague wouldn't survive. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, all right. Okay. So just a couple of last things. We, we've talked about him, but we haven't talked about his character, really, Reggae Jean Page. I would argue that Reggae Jean Page might be the handsomest man in this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, with respect to Danush, with respect to the, to the gauze, to the baby goose, and with respect to Chris Evans, who I think is deliberately hampering himself. Now, oh, 100%. He, the conversation oh, Evans no. sans Tash yep. and Reggae Sean Page. Now, that's a conversation. That's a conversation we can have. And I'm I'm willing to examine willing to that at, at length. You know, I will, I will sit down and look at pictures of both for however long it takes, you know. 
But you're uh, going to get to the yeah. You're I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Damn yes. it! <laughs> With the emphasis heavily on bottom. <laughs> we appreciate your service and know-how. We really do. But but with the moustache, no. Uh, that moustache, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is a hate crime in and of itself. <laughs> Even before we get into the torture and the murder and the maiming and the breaking of international laws and covenants, right, left and centre. I would say worse than all of those. I mean, I would not disagree. It's like uh, painting funny glasses on the Mona Lisa. It's like spray painting the Mona Lisa with I was ear. Yeah, it's like giving David a smaller willy. <laughs> Hard to get much smaller. Anyway. <laughs> what? That's positively gargantuan. I mean, what? Yes. Reggae Sean Page is Danny Carmichael. He gets away with it at the end, doesn't he? And he does. I think he'll be, but he'll be back. And yeah. this time it'll be If there is a sequel, more which dickish. I would like there to be, but yeah. we shall see because apparently the numbers at opening weekend, because they can measure this sort of thing now, were decent, but not amazing. Mm. But Yeah. It's interesting. Like They, they leave a couple of things open-ended. But there's not like we, we've seen sequel bait in other movies before. Yeah. This movie doesn't really go that way, and I think I'm kind oh, it of. Oh, does. Do you uh, think? Uh, there's, there's, there's a couple of open-ended things, but they they close the book on. I the, think. The, the, I think it's positively yeah. restrained, actually, think, in terms of. I think it's relatively restrained compared to some, but I mean, it very much leaves the door open on Carmichael. It very much leaves the door open for Suzanne. Yeah. Um, it you know it kind of leaves the door open for both Six and Claire to be honest they're just driving away into the sunset yeah. when did when did that ever really it does but anything? if your hero if your movie ends with your hero driving away and having, right you know I'm go, talking about like the when I say sequel but I'm talking about in the final scene yeah clearly something there and they could have easily gone gone that way and I think it's smart smart them to do it this way yeah, I, no, I agree with that I mean there's no for example yeah if the movie ended right if the Grey Man series ended at the Grey Man it's a totally satisfying ending yeah for me they could have easily done like a, a final scene or a post credit scene uh, with Reggae John Page going to see the old man and he comes out of the shadows and they may or may not reveal who his face who would it be and, and then, then they, put, they could have easily done something like that who would it be who would you cast as the old man ooh hmm. <laughs> this is a good question oh Helen's Kurt got one. Russell Ooh. Link it all up to the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Mr. Nobody is the old man. Oh my God. Mr. Nobody. I am all in on that. One. Uh, Downey, is Downey too young to be the old man? Could you have had Downey coming in at the end there? Could you have Sam Jackson as the old man? Or are we just getting too much into the MCU? Sam, Sam Jackson, he, he, he's done that sort of stepping out from the shadows thing before. It would, would be redundant. Um, Robert Downey Jr. as the old man. Know about that because how old do you expect the old man to be in your in your head what do you think old thinking old <laughs> oh like the knight from indiana jones and the last crusade <laughs> not that old much Keanu. 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 no i'm like but like why <laughs> not yeah, but, but reggae john page is like what 30-ish these are millennials. Yeah. These are millennials yeah. starring in this movie for the most part. That's a good point. Reggae Sean Page is Put in considerably a younger than Chris Evans. Put so in a Gen X. Well, I think we're just pretending. All right. His, pla Anthony his Hopkins. playing age. Sir again. Anthony Hopkins. No, Anthony Hopkins. I'm just saying you're getting hung up on old. I'm saying to a millennial, Gen mm. X is old. I think it you're doesn't have to be a up, boomer. I think mm. you're getting hung up a man. I think that they open the door and mm. then you hear a robot. <laughs> <laughs> comes forward, right? Uh -huh. It's a computer screen. Yeah. Computer screen turns on. <laughs> Greetings, Fraulein. 
Bing, bing. Bish, bash, bosh. MCU Grey Man Universe is linked. Arnim Sola is the old man. Toby Jones is the old man. Don't you want to see that sequel, folks? They might have some copyright issues, but I'm sure, I'm sure they can get around it. Well, on that note. <laughs> on that note, that is it, I think, for our Grey Man spoiler special. There's nothing else we have. We've covered it all, haven't we? Pretty much. I think yeah. so. We can talk so. about about halfway with that, but it's fine. Oh. I mean, always great. Yeah. yeah it's great. Much. And that's it. Okay. Turns up, turns up. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alfred Woodard. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm Alfred Woodard. I was a little bit confused by her decision to retire to Prague, but maybe she just really likes it. It's a beautiful city. She loves mm. this this the sound opening the throwing the doors open at six AM, drinking in the sounds of the city, the bells pealing at the local cathedral, birds chirping in the sky, <laughs> a drunken stag do vomiting on the corner. <laughs> of the street before they're suddenly activated <laughs> yes. hey, we're gonna kill this six fellow I mean if you brag about being able to kill anybody I suppose you have resources like that at your beck and call yeah absolutely there's all these groups now I will never go to Prague now without <laughs> not being suspicious of large groups of drunken people that they might be CIA <laughs> sanctioned assassins that would be a brilliant cover for like a paramilitary gang wouldn't it it really would mm-hmm. wow are you thinking what I'm thinking we've got our next action movie idea <laughs> no I was going to say our next sideline we can actually do this oh really yeah. just actually recruit <laughs> just recruit our own assassins mm-hmm. and, yes so uh-huh. uh, alright well that is it for our Grey Man spoiler special hope you guys enjoyed it our next spoiler special is going to be probably for Bullet Train which we're recording in precisely 35 seconds so <laughs> that's very very exciting uh, all that remains now is for me to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Yes, and do get in touch if you'd like to engage our services of our assassination group <laughs> who are, go under the name Lads, Lads, Lads. <laughs> lads, 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 Lads. Uh, it is goodbye from Amon Woman. Let the record reflect that I had nothing to do with this group. Uh, should any law sure, enforcement sure. people be listening sure, sure. at a later date? Peace. <laughs> And it's goodbye from me as well. I'm off to work on our Dragon Stand presentation. I'm pretty sure we can get them to come in in this business. £250,000 investment for 10% of our business. What do we do? We kill people. I'll be honest with you, Peter Jones. We kill people. But if you're okay with that, all right. Growth area. <laughs> apparently, apparently you're not okay with that. What a shame. Uh, anyway, uh, this goodbye from me. It's just another Thursday. It's actually Wednesday. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.